Welcome to Bitpicking episode 18, a podcast about software development. I'm Greg. I'm Mark. Hi, Mark. Hello, Greg. Today, we have Laura Yarrow, a UX consultant uh, from Experience UX, joining us. Laura is going to talk about what is UX. She'll tell us what small steps you can take to start your UX journey. And we have Pronunciation Wars, the final. Let's go. Okay, welcome Laura Yarrow. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, Laura is a UX consultant. Laura, what the hell does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) I get asked this a lot, mainly by like my mum and things like that. Like, what what is it you do? What what do you do each day? Um, So um, I'm a UX consultant at Experience UX in Bournemouth. And um, we get a variety of different clients coming to us needing um, help with how to get the um, best experience across to their customers and their users, their end users. So uh, we do things like user testing, um, user journey mapping, um, sketching and wireframing and prototyping and testing those up, um, coming up with solutions for different experiences just to make things uh, really great for their customers. Um, there's, there's so many different things that we do, um, but it's hard to fit it all in at the moment. <laughs> Can I just ask, how did you end up in this? Like, what was your path through to doing this? Kind of, did you always want to do this kind of thing or did you start out doing I, I didn't else? actually. Um, so I started out as a web developer. So I started out um, in about 2005 or six. Um, so I've been in digital for quite a long time. Um, I started out as a web developer developing like CMS software in Bournemouth as well after university. And while I was going through that journey of being a developer, I, I sort of happened to cross paths with um, a UX team in one of my jobs. And right. they were like, oh, let's test your work. And I was like, no, don't do that. Just show me the work. <laughs> and so I just want to see people using it and happy. And, um, you know, they sort of locked me in a room and said, you know, like, look, this is this is things not working. And it just opened up this whole world of, my God, there's people at the end of this product, you know, using things and, and interacting with it. Mm. And some things work and some things don't. So it sort of opened up this whole world. And it's just fascinating. Uh, it's all about psychology and, you know, how, how and why people do what they do. So it was quite a, an interesting sidestep for me as I went through develop, web development and front-end development to... Um, much more user-focused role. Um, Were were you aware of the sort of the discipline of UX before that moment? um, Vaguely, um, but I mean, it was at that start in like the start of the 2000s when like the iPhone sort of landed and everyone suddenly became aware of things not just being just functional, of having, you know, um, an experience around it and um, these sort of moments of delight and... Yeah, so yeah. it was around that sort of time. So you, you have a, an awareness, but it being a profession, it was quite young back then, yeah, and yeah. now it's starting to flourish a bit more. So, yeah. So did you find it hard to move into it then? If if the... It's it's hard because it's undefined in a way. Right, okay. So I, I, I sort of got mentored, which is, is a really a good bit of advice if you're thinking of moving into UX, is find a mentor. There's loads of mentors on UXPA or you might have a team specifically in your organization um, which is what I I sort of attached myself to and um, they sort of took me along to conferences and uh, let me shadow them and taught me sort of the best practice and and that was really interesting really sort of got me up to speed really Mm -hmm. quickly and then start running my own um, projects and things yeah 
Are there a question that's just popped in my head, which is: Are there um, qualifications you can do as a UX person? You know, uh, courses and yeah. professional qualifications. So this is yeah, this is part of the, the the difficult thing is that it's such a you a user experience designer, or there's loads of different titles that it, it encompasses a lot of things. So you can have specialisms within that. So you might have an information architect specialist. Mm-hmm. You might have a content specialist. Um, you know, someone who specializes in the testing part or just the market research, just the, the, the interviews and the face-to-face research. Or you might have ethnographers, people who go out in the field and do field research and really immerse themselves. And there's lots of different qualifications that may help. So I've got a technical background and that helped me understand technical products and, and digital products. Um, but there are qualifications that are specific, like human-centered design qualifications right. that you can get from universities. There's, um, you might take an anthropology course um, because that is studying humans and what they do and why, um, but at a much more broader level. Um, you might take psychology courses because that, again, is this, a similar sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, human behavior, behavioral science. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yeah, so there's such a broad set of courses. And when you look at job descriptions, they are you know they they say a list of lots of different ones that you could come from yeah one thing um that strikes me there is we always think about or we've only really encountered ux as a as an engineering a software engineering discipline but i guess it extends way way beyond that you know do do you focus purely on software or do you, you go and look at other things as well so obviously with my background it has been digital more so coming from a technical background and then being in the digital world, Bournemouth's quite a digital place. You know, there's a lot of um, call for that role to be attached to uh, a technology business, a software house maybe. And that's where I've always found my specialism or my niche, I suppose. Um, But there are people looking at um, like industrial design and the ergonomics and Mm. maybe like the service design. So that's another role, service design, designing maybe some of the NHS services or uh, library services, public services, things like that. Um, I have done some of the more offline things like field research for different various things and that's always really interesting that I'd say that's sort of where my passion lies is just sitting and watching people (laughs) (laughs) and all the weird stuff they do (laughs) so what what I quite like is you haven't yet mentioned visual design yeah yeah and um, one of the things I've experienced in in the realm of UX is that question around UI yeah Um, and so it's quite cool that you've not mentioned it because I'm well, I don't, I, the question is, how do you explain to people the difference between UI and, and UX? That's a good question. <laughs> I knew you were going to ask this. Um, I wish I'd spotted up more on this. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm, I'm not a graphic designer. Right. I'm, I'm purposefully sort of, I stay away from things like Photoshop and Sketch and Illustrator, all those sort of things, because that is the aesthetic and it's not how it does affect it's like a layer on the you know scale of mm. what affects an experience but usability wise um which is maybe more the focus of where i work is it's not it's not where our skills lie and it's not where my skills lie really um and it's better to have the structure and um you know sort of the underlying bit underneath the design ready first and that's right. that's yeah. what I sort of do there is a visual aspect like you wireframe you prototype but the actual slick design that's maybe in line with um you know uh trends and fashions yeah, yeah, is yeah. not not where it's part of the experience but it's not where my job role lies do you think it's still part of like like your company um 
are they approached and people start off thinking they're going to get like a high fidelity yeah. um, design <laughs> and then you you have to do some work to say that's it's not quite what we do stroke that's not it's, the valuable bit or something like that you know? it's it's always an education process so yeah the, there are people who associate it with design you i mean you see job roles written ui ux designer and it's yeah. a bit of a, a confusing set of qualifications that is because they're kind of that's a really big job role for a start you know to ask someone to do all the ux side and all the design side and you know be two hats at once um so yeah it it is an education process because people don't really understand ux a lot of the time it's Mm. quite a a niche that needs explaining all the time because it's still quite a new profession really Mm. um yeah what are the tools of your trade you know you said the things that you don't use what are the things that you do use are there particular bits of software or, or other tools that you use for, for doing your job? Yeah, so um, I mostly would use something, well, where we work, you can use lots of different tools, but mm. Axure is one we use because it's it's kind of the big, it's like the big one where it, it lets you do everything. It's purpose-built for uh, UX professionals, you know, and lets you add interactivity. Axure, A-X-U-R-E. Okay. Um, oh, it, it's an, yeah. I've never heard it pronounced that. Though. How do you say it? Azure. Oh, that's no, that's Microsoft Azure. Yeah, it's only one that, letter difference. It's still one letter. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's an accent thing we were so talking about. How do you pronounce it? Axure. Okay. Well, I, I, how would you pronounce it? Ooh, no, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna take sides. Please take sides. Maybe no, no, I'm you're wrong. Defi- I, I'm not a UX consultant, so you're no, definitely no. right. You so know. I'm definitely yeah. yeah. I find that I'm wrong now. I'm gonna have to like email them and ask them some really weird support yeah. question. Like, how do you pronounce this? Um, I'm gonna go for Uxure. Uxure. Yeah. So that that is a uh, you know desktop program that you can download, but there's loads of others. There's like Envision and um, you know UX Pin, all the online ones. Um, it's just what, not what we use where I work, but I've used some of them before. There's so many different things. But I mean, you know, often you can just fall back to whiteboards and paper-based because a lot of the time it's just rapidly getting to something that's a solution, a workable solution, and then wireframing it up digitally to test. Mm. So um, there's, there's so many different tools you can use. For- What's your, this is a bit going into a bit of detail, but I saw a tweet this week um, and it had a picture, I think it was a video actually, of a paper mock-up. Yeah. And it had, maybe you even tweeted it. I think it might be me. <laughs> <laughs> and it, so it had the sort of, um, it worked, as in yeah. you could slide things and, and, t- and there were like, little windows cut out and yeah. stuff like that. Um, so what, what, now that I know it was you that tweeted it, what, why did you tweet it? Was it in support of it or was it... Ooh, um, I tweeted to say it. this is too much or yeah. <laughs> I tweet a lot of things <laughs> but, um, yeah so that was originally tweeted by was it the, like interaction design or yeah it's it's by someone else and it is a bit over engineered it was right. but I think it was my frustration that you'd seen a, I'd seen a lot about it online some people were like this is great some people were like this is this is rubbish and it sort of goes against the you know rapid prototyping and, and low fidelity that mm. you have with paper but um, it, it was more that I felt they'd missed the point entirely is that sometimes these things are put up as like an education piece or like a culture change. So that's another big thing about UX is you'll find you're brought in often to um, help people reach a consensus, like they can't agree, um, or some person in the organisation wants to spend their budget on UX and, and really believes in it, but they have no buy-in from everyone else. Yeah, so yeah. Um, 
you know, these things are really handy tools for sticking up on a wall and just getting people to play with stuff mm -hmm. and getting them used to the idea of prototyping rather than going full on design first, like they think they're going to get, uh, you know, something in sketch straight away, um, you know, rather than... Yeah, that, when simple. I saw that tweet, and we'll put it in the show notes um, so people can see it, yeah. um, my thought was it was quite over-engineered yeah. that the effort it must have taken to get to that point yeah. I felt like there was quite a lot of cost in that yeah. to prove or disprove whatever it was they were trying to prove or disprove yeah and I, so I just thought oh that's that seems like yeah. it's gone a bit too far um, but then on the other hand I had a, an, a situation today where I tried to somebody was designing something from a low fidelity mock-up yeah. and then they they just implemented it exactly yeah um, and that's all the colors were wrong and that kind of stuff so I've sort of like I'm always in on the fence about how far do you go to get an idea across yeah so I don't know maybe you've got some tips about that so you, you know in your head you've got this is how the experience should work how do you get that across without being very prescriptive yeah so that's a big question <laughs> <laughs> Give me all of your skills. Oh, of if I could just download my brain. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it is a, that is a big question. How, so what's the real question there? That how do you how do you actually get across the experience as a whole? Yeah. So so if if um, we get to this point in that there's a difference between sort of giving someone a design versus communicating what the experience should be. Yes. So yeah. um, and you're saying we should avoid this and try and do this. How do you get that across when people are just expecting a design? Just a design file at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's it's a big issue and it's really hard trying to communicate a wireframe because people get hung up on the littlest things like, you know, oh, that says Laura Mipsum or, you know, there's a spelling <laughs> issue yeah. or, you know, where's the colour or, you know, they get really hung up on... Uh, little issues like this and you have to keep reminding them it's a prototype or a wireframe it's not finished yet it's the, the main idea is to communicate the layout and is can a human use this um you know it's it's not it's not an easy thing to demonstrate to stakeholders mm. is a wireframe um sometimes it's best to talk in in terms of scenarios and stories so saying well this is um Jane and this is what her goal is and then walking them through the wireframe it's always good to put something in someone's hands as well so if you can uh, give them something in you know like uh, in a device to use yeah. and walk them through that like they're the person that's quite a, a good way of getting them to understand and empathize with someone um, first so yeah it's 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 putting them in their shoes and not just sort of emailing it you know it's, yeah, it's yeah. providing all the backstory and scenario around it it seems to me as well that you'll um i'm gonna guess that you're probably involved at actually a lot of different stages yeah. in product development life cycle some of it might be i've got an idea yeah <laughs> how do you sort of do it some of it might be we're building this thing help me figure out what it actually looks like and yeah. and i suspect there's also a we built this thing and we just <laughs> yeah. have no idea why no one's using it. Yes, help, yeah. us, help us figure that I out. I think that's the most common scenario. I've been in the situation where I've got this great idea or something's just started to be built and there's no users. And that is the hardest because it's just finger in the air and you've got to yeah. just make these little increments of trying to work out who are who are the user base for this, you know, when there is yeah. no user base. There's a, there's a target of who it might be, but it might not be the right target. Mm. So I've had that before where we thought we were targeting a certain audience but actually 
it sort of flipped on its head and it was someone else and that was you know you think you're testing with people and they don't really get it and and that's when you realize that maybe it's other people oh wow that's quite that's that's quite hard yeah um but yeah most of the time it is there's something built it doesn't work can you help us make it work um make it a great experience make it usable yeah is it would it um be right to say like in your opinion is is the customer always right when i say the customer i mean user um <laughs> is the user always right if you've got a gut feel about what's really good and you you've got a set of people using it and they're not finding it very good like yeah. are you ever tempted to overrule them and say well you're wrong you know and when we roll this out to everyone, you're just a, you're just outliers I, right? I, yeah i'm going to say that it's actually the ux designer's responsibility to say the truth like what do they see what's the research show you know there's no one's going to win if you say you're right and it's fine and we found no problems and this is completely correct mm-hmm. just proceed and yeah. thank you for your money it's not that doesn't that doesn't make anyone um better off so it it's, and you can take the emotion out of it as well. All you have to do is put together maybe a highlight reel of people struggling and they get it, the penny drops. And yeah. there's been quite a few moments in my career where I've seen people watching the research and that's that's key, getting people involved in the research to see the bits where users fall over or they just don't get it. And, and yeah. there's some things where you think this is so obvious, they're going to get this straight away and they don't. And, Mm, you know, we've had that with products that we've used and websites and apps where we just can't get it. Like Snapchat's one for me. Just cannot understand it. (laughs) And I... Wasn't the answer there though that we're all too old? Yes, that is, that is. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean like greater than 13. Um, Right. Yeah, exactly. I was going to ask how old do you think I am? But I feel like this might get a bit (laughs) difficult. Edit that out. Yeah. Um, so, do you um, do people come to you? Maybe this is a daft question, going to use experience, but it wouldn't surprise me if people come to you uh, and are surprised that you might want to actually talk to some users yes, yeah. of their system <laughs> yeah. rather than just going away. Think, thinking about it thinking really about hard. it really hard, <laughs> yeah. and then coming back. A, a lot know. of people want to jump from here's our brief to can you just give me a design, and they don't really think about all the the steps and the work that goes into getting to that uh, positive solution that works. Um, It's not just doing a day of testing. There's a lot of recruitment and a brief to write for that and a script to write and a day to organize and, you know, back up people to recruit and and organizing clients to come and watch Mm. or, you know, people who are stakeholders to come and watch. And Mm. there's a lot of work goes into that. But yeah, there there are people who just want to sidestep that research bit or, you know, just say maybe I just... Just, can we just use internal people? That's happened to me before. And that's yeah. tricky because that's not the ideal audience, really. I mean, it did surprise me. I was recently involved in a, in a project um, building a, um, a, a an app that kids were going to use, kind of school-aged kids, you know, yeah. young teens. Um, and so I was kind of party to some discussions there where they got UX um, professionals involved to do that. And it did surprise me how much work went into setting up those trials and making sure that you found a good spread of kids you know that you didn't pick all the same kind of kids that (laughs) you had different ages or different backgrounds and all that kind of stuff and it was like wow there's i would have just grabbed the first five kids off the street and said (laughs) can you try this um whereas actually a lot more went into let's make sure we get really good representation 
yeah. um, and that we get the right kind of feedback and that we're not biasing their journey through the, That's right. yeah. through the application. So yeah. um, there's times when you may do that if you're like working on a low budget or, you know, tight timescales or, you know, no buy-in and you do sort of doing this undercover because I've done that before in previous you know roles that I've had is that yeah you, you kind of have to do that you just have to grab who you can and do this sort of guerrilla testing where you just go out and just shove it in front of people in a coffee shop and you know say look I'll buy your coffee or a cake or something just can you just test out and and often it does kind of fall down to does does a can a human just use this you know and it's good to get a rough idea of the background but yeah it, you will get better results with a, a tight recruitment brief and yeah recruitment I find probably. that one of the challenges if you don't put that effort up front is then it makes it a lot easier for the research to be knocked down. Yes, that's right. Because you can say, oh, oh well, those people, not, they don't yeah. count because they're all internal <laughs> staff or because, you know, they're all yeah, for exactly. some other reason. Um, it, I've been facing that recently myself, actually, where I've, I've done some research that I don't think now is very valid because every time we try to use it, yeah. someone is able to bring up um, a rebuttal yeah. which is like valid and you go well yeah okay yeah that's yeah. true and <laughs> I, th- I think that's where <laughs> some you know the place where I work we get brought in quite often to sort of provide that neutral yeah. third party view that you can't mess with that because <laughs> you know we're, we're, we're the sort of the experts on that and and it is recruited properly and yeah it's you get good uh, research data from that so yeah I can see the, how that would happen <laughs> I think this the sense starts coming to sort of the crux of the problem, which is uh, people think that UX is just something like easy. a gut, a gut uh, yeah, easy yeah. or a gut feel or, or black magic, maybe. Yeah, yeah, or like you say, like sorcery. Any of us could just sit down and if we just think about it a bit, we'll see what the we'll we, see what the problems are. If we are. have enough post-it notes on the table, yeah. we're bound <laughs> to get to the problem. And this is why you quite often get people with you know job titles of UI slash UX. Yeah. Not to say those people aren't necessarily, but you know they may have those titles foisted on them, which yeah. is you know a bit about designing front ends. You are now the UX person, yeah. um, and it's a very different skill. But you yeah. know, I imagine you know you probably see a few of those. You know, oh, meet our here's our internal UX person. Um, oh, yeah. right, uh, okay. <laughs> Tell me what you know about UX. I can do React. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think that's common. I think because UX is such a young field as well, people do crossover from other things, you know, a lot, and it's hard to tell the credentials of someone. Um, and I think UX is it has to be experience. You know, you have to have gone through setting up the tests, writing the scripts, and and mm-hmm. getting used to the way you interview people and talk to people and listen to people, which is really important. Um, you know, all these soft skills or just skills, as we should call them, uh, are really important and. Those are the, the hard things to learn is how do you talk to a person? How do you listen to them? Um, and then, you know, how do you run the projects? How do you get sort of design the research so that, it, that you'll get the best value out of that time? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I couldn't possibly comment on the <laughs> other people <laughs> that I've talked to. I think we're hitting on a theme, though, because you mentioned budgets earlier. Yeah. Um, Mark just mentioned there that often that it's um, UX is attempted to be done internally with people that already exist but aren't very well trained and and I've experienced that as a reality that you've mm. you, you can have particularly an engineering team who really care about it but they can't get the buy-in of the business to get someone in yeah. um, what sort of advice or tips do you have for people in that situation that so they can start introducing UX thinking into their, their projects 
yeah there's there's quite a lot you can do and I've been in this situation before um where I've been the developer and then suddenly got this interest and uh, had this sort of training and things and um you know other people were just a bit not really interested um the first thing is just making things really visible. So having uh, maybe a wall where you start to stick things up, where you've done maybe a little bit of undercover investigation yourself, started to test things with people. Um, you know, like I said, guerrilla testing maybe, and just sticking up that result. You know, those results. Doing a bit of um, wireframing and uh, you know co- trying to come up with some solutions and getting people to comment on them. So like I said, with that. Um, you know, that the tweet that you one. saw, yeah. Um, yeah, that that is just another device, really, to get people interested um, and start this culture change, because that's what it's all about in the end, is just changing the culture to maybe then get a little bit of budget assigned to doing something, you know, getting a, a project maybe set up so that you can start doing this for real um, okay. with people's buy-in. So there's things like that, yeah, making it visible. Um, I think there's... Um, this thing called Testing Tuesdays that some people do. I think it was Monzo actually started this one at their research department. And I think the RNLI I've heard are doing this now where, you know, you set up a Testing Tuesdays, everyone's invited, you know, maybe a lunchtime, you know, get the latest thing that you want to test and then just get a few people uh, recruited. That's interesting, I've not heard of that. Yeah, and and it's just setting up a little bit of a a buzz about it as well. And you can be quite sort of Machiavellian about this. You can set up all this sort of interesting stuff on a wall or in a room, but tell people they can't come in. You know, you can sort of reverse (laughs) psychology this and make it so that people are actually asking you, I want to see this, um, which can be quite interesting. yeah, and, and the other thing is like getting a mentor as well, like I said earlier, trying to get in touch with people, going to conferences, um, meeting up at these sort of local meetups and, and just trying to absorb knowledge and, and just talk about it, you know, get people talking about it. So my follow-up question then would be, say you do get some budget, but it's small. Um, mm-hmm. I actually have no idea how much things cost, but what would be the first thing that you would do if you were to, if you know, you had some money that so that you didn't have to do it undercover and, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. What would be the first Ooh, you know, so of, of all the tools in in the? Toolbox. And it has to be UX related. I can't just go spending. <laughs> yeah. I'd get a new hat. <laughs> yes, a pair of shoes, maybe a new car. Um, uh, you probably find it goes on things like recruiting people and finding people to come and do things like testing or the tools that you might need to, to you know, get um, a professional finish or, you know, um, these sort of group licensing things, you know. Uh, it might be that you you do tend to get more buy-in the more designed up it looks as well. So so often you'll find that people are showing uh, the stakeholders, the higher-up stakeholders, a, a more sort of finished and polished design or prototype. And that can often just, unfortunately, get you the buy-in you need, but obviously you need the tools to do that. Right. Um, I think so the, the budget... Pop- yeah. I said that right this yeah, time? Sure, yes. <laughs> so get hold of that. Or just think of acts, like yes. chopping and sure... Sure. Act, sure. <laughs> um, I'm really worried I'm saying that wrong now. No, I'm going to have to go back. Are. I'm probably <laughs> like a laughing stock now. It's all right. We'll just dub it if you find that. It's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it'll be one of our voices. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I use Act, sure. <laughs> just start with it like a deeper voice. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think you'll find the budget will probably go on people as well because it's people's time, you know, that you're, you're using for this. It'll just be your redirected into uh, a UX project. 
Um, I would say also spend it on training, spending on spending it on like um, conferences or workshops. There's loads of good training, short training courses out there. Um, I'd be wary of things like Udemy and all the sort of ten pound courses. Right. Yeah, you get what you pay for, but there's some yeah. good ones there that that really, yeah. Do you have um? Because I often find this that you 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 search for a thing and there's like you know thousands of sites and you're never quite yeah. sure which are the ones that. Yeah. are really giving you the good advice do you have um like some go-to blogs or sites or other podcasts or, um, that <laughs> well, people might want to listen to including um, me <laughs> yeah of course yeah first of all i'd highly recommend the bit picking podcast Always as a, a starting point well, we've yeah. got our first advert to inject into our oh, podcast yeah. <laughs> there you go. i'll do that one for free Thanks. um <laughs> but um where would i go yeah so there's some great um uh resources out there i mean there's there's courses that i I mean i don't endorse them because i've not been on them but there's like web credible do some really good courses there's um uxpa to get involved with they do lots of community things that are are great there's one in like london and bristol and you know they're sort of dotted around yeah and it's like the um uh ux professionals association or something so you can become registered Mm. with it so i'm like a registered mentor with with them so and you can search for mentees and mentors on there. So it's, it's okay. quite a handy um, resource. Um, there's just so much on like Medium, but you never know quite if it's, you know, how good that yeah, is. But yeah, there's exactly. a lot of thought leaders as well, and they're quite good to follow. So there's people like Jared Spool and um, yeah. Kim Goodwin and Dana Chisnell. And there's just so many of them. And reading their books, and, and they have their own podcasts, obviously, and their own uh, blogs and talks, and they're, they're all really good. They're just uh, at the forefront of all the thinking of what's coming and what's emerging in, in the field. So somewhat related then, is there something, if somebody wanted to get into UX professionally, yeah. um, is there one tip that you would say? Oh, uh, you need to be good at asking questions. And questioning okay. everything because you want to get to the sort of nub of the problem in a way you want to be able to question and question and, and go through these layers and not of, being annoying I suppose yeah yeah well I'm really annoying <laughs> everyone's always telling me yeah see a lot of the problems you get are like superficial you know how, how do we increase conversion or something like that and actually um as you ask the question and do the research it changes and you get to the real crux of the issue and yeah, so it, you have to be able to ask questions. You have to be able to think laterally and creatively. And um, you have to also invest in like the soft skills I was talking about. You need to mm. be able to talk to people, not talk too much. You need to be able to mm-hmm. listen properly um, and not just to what they're saying. So maybe their emotions as well. Um, yeah, and keeping an open mind because you do meet quite a lot of members of the public that are quite <laughs> interesting people. <laughs> yeah. Very interesting. Is, is, I was going to say, is it hard to get when you're talking to some of these people? Mm. Um, is it is it a skill as well to get them in the frame of mind to, to give you what you're looking for? Yeah. Um, you know, or is it just a case of I'm just going to take whatever cup? You know, I'll sit someone down. You know, yeah. Doris from Westbourne <laughs> is sitting in front of the computer, and if, if she's just sat there for half an hour staring at it well that's that's a valuable that's, bit that's of natural yeah. natural behavior um, yeah or or you know do, do you have to do some prep on people say you know this is what we're trying to yeah to do and what i'm what i want to so try you, and observe you would screen people which is where you make sure that you ask them the sort of questions to make sure they're the right sort of person coming in give them sort of a a, a brief theme of what you're doing 
But yeah, they have to be comfortable with like, say the technology so that they don't just sit staring at a laptop thinking, what is this? Um, Because that's not natural either because they wouldn't naturally use it. But yeah, there is a little bit of, you know, you have to breathe them in and say, because it's not a natural scenario either. They're they're not in their home. They're not maybe wherever they would be using this device or technology um, or product or service, whatever it is. Um, So you have to take that into account that they might not be feeling quite comfortable. You do get sort of odd ones that don't want to talk or, you know, they're too chatty or they go off topic and you've got to, it's a real balance trying not to distract them or trying to keep them on topic. And yeah. Do do you find the the act of, of, observing them changes what they do yeah that's a, a, a bias that's a well-known bias the observer yeah. effect where you know you act differently when you're being you know you're being watched so if your yeah. boss is watching you do something you will change your behavior and you know that that does happen so it's, it's a real tricky thing to make yeah. sure that they're not too bothered by you and it's just making it known that you're not the one they're not the one being tested you know it's it's okay to go wrong um if, if they get something wrong in like a user test for example or mm-hmm. The questions you're asking it's okay to criticize it's okay for them to have some uh negative feelings about something um, right so yeah, yeah yeah it's just briefing them in properly yeah have you ever done um remote ux testing i know there are some tools and frameworks available that let you for instance yeah. observe users you, know, you get a little pop-up do you mind you know <laughs> if someone sees a recording of this yes. session or yeah. yeah have you ever tried those tools so i have tried them um it's something that uh, I think one of my colleagues is currently wrangling with because uh, there's so many and none of them are quite where you want them to be. Yeah. Uh, some of them are really expensive as well. And there's, there's some that come close to being what we want. Um, but yeah, no one's developed something quite good enough. So if there's anyone out there right. who wants a really good challenge, come and speak to us because we've got a really good idea what we want but it none of these products like Loop11 and you know all the usertesting.com, they don't quite meet the criteria that's interesting i'm just thinking there can you do ux on yourself (laughs) (laughs) do ux that's 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 what you do isn't it can you do you know what i mean like if you were designing a product is the would the assumption be that it would be perfect because you're absolutely skilled yeah the 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 funny thing is that actual that we talk about is actually really quite difficult to use and it's actually a tool for ux designers there's a lot of like really tiny buttons and like um yeah it's just things that i I do yeah but there's yeah it no you know it's it's just what happens but it's just like there's a few niggles but yeah yeah did you get um professional testers as well do you get people i was just thinking of userexperience.com because we've i've used that in the past um and then i was put off it because someone said well those people are you know they, they that's all they do because yeah. for people who don't know it's like a mechanical turk they know thing, too much you know? yeah yeah um so they'll get paid you know a couple of dollars for each yeah. thing that they test and there's just a big queue so i think people you know make professions out of mm, it. so does that do. do you try to avoid that those sort so of people where i work we have like a um a database of rec- people we can recruit from and right. it's it's really interesting so there's a blacklist that we have where oh, people pop up who have been all different professions you know like <laughs> maybe they've been like nurses then gardeners then <laughs> brain surgeons or you know web developers and they, they just seem to like have a there's just a couple on there that i know of that i think collectively we try and avoid using where we work because they they've been known to just sort of game the system to get some can cash I, can i get pa- can i get paid for this we, we do pay actually for wow. paid research but stick me down <laughs> I, will, I will i will now <laughs> so are there in, in an attempt to 
boil your job down to about three minutes. <laughs> are there um, are there some uh, obvious and reoccurring UX mistakes Ooh, like that, that you see being made again and again? Mm, yeah, and I think when people are really close to their products, they do fall prey to these things, these things that are really obvious that they don't really get. That um, One of them is maybe just all the UX 101 stuff or usability 101 stuff, like the text size, the font size, you know, the colors. People want to put their branding colors over everything and it gets used too much and then it's like there's no focus, there's no visual hierarchy um, in there. So there's that. There's also... Um, you know, we like to try and design these set journeys through products so that everyone is accommodated for. And it's really simple. You know, the simpler, the better. But you find there's all these sort of back doorways slipped in, you know, links put on a pages so that everyone can get to everything from any right. page. And then that yeah. can be really confusing to people. So there's, yeah, there's, there's loads of these little things that sneak in. I suppose one that springs to mind for me is, is um, conflicting things around if i have a form for example i was gonna say form design is the next one that yeah, is like always messed up well there's, <laughs> there's 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 two schools of thought one is i should just have the whole form there so i can go through it quickly and and, and kind of got a visual you know idea of mm. how much i have to fill in the other one is don't overload the user show them you know for instance one field at a time and take them through a, a you know a journey you know, almost like cards. Okay, what's your name? Next one. You know, what's your address? Next like one. Wizard, yeah. Those kind of things. Yeah. How does that? What's the right answer? Oh, well, <laughs> Boil it down for me. <laughs> there's um, a chap called Luke Luke Rabluski, and he's done a lot of work on forms. He's even got a book called Form Design or something. One of those Rosenfeld media books, and he's done a brilliant job of doing all the research for that. So rather than me like regurgitate his book, but he's he's really great, and he's got some really obvious things like you know don't don't put all the um, text boxes, for example, um, horizontally one after the other, put them down like this so people can just go bang, bang, bang all the way down. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so they don't have to scan left and right a lot. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, he's got all this sort of information in there and he's really good. But is it is it the case that, every, that everyone's different and, and maybe that you can put people into different groups, but some people will respond well to all the fields on the page mm -hmm. and some people will respond well to having a couple per page yeah. or, 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 or or is is it always the pursuit of the the you know the the design that works for everyone it's yeah it's kind of too simplistic to think like that because maybe it might be on a phone it might be on a desktop it depends on the context where they are it depends on the product it depends on the type of thing they're filling in yeah. you know it, it has to be tested at the end of the day to see if all those factors work for the majority of people that the key audiences i suppose is the the, the people you want to hit and that's why you'd screen people bring in the key audiences and then does it work for them then you're kind of onto a winner if you are so mm. yeah that's, okay so yeah. like anything in software engineering it depends it depends, <laughs> it depends yeah <laughs> <laughs> how long is a piece of string yeah. <laughs> um, and are there do you have particular bits of software or products or websites that you think are the, the king of usability. The king queen, of usability. The queen, king. Queen. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, the queen. <sighs> Off the top of my head. 
I can tell you what I don't like. Okay, yeah, let's yeah, do that. Let's do that. that. Come on. Do you know what? This, yeah, this is like, yeah, the nitty gritty now. Um, so everyone loves Monzo. I'm going to have a proper rant now. Oh, but is... everyone loves Monzo, but that app's really hard to use. Is anyone else? I'm a Monzo. I'm, a, I, I'm quite a big Monzo user. So. Are you? Yeah, so I, I find it really difficult. We've got Joints account and we've got the... Um, like personal account and switching right. between them is really confusing. I'm always like nearly spending my money when I could be spending my <laughs> husband's money <laughs> or he's spending mine. You know, it's like really hard to know what's going on. And yeah, it's that really drives I'll, me up I'll the wall. Scratch them off our uh, sponsors list. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. He's gonna listen to this after. This this might be the first podcast that ends in divorce. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Um, you're you're right, there are some weird things about the ones Yeah. My my big We've spoke about this before, and until it's fixed, we're going to do it every episode. But <laughs> I don't understand this proliferation of putting the username and the password on separate mm. um, pages. Yes, yeah. Um, mm. And I think there's a technical reason about single sign-on in that you need to know where, where the account is located before you show the password. But it seems oh, to now okay. just be the thing that people do. It drives me nuts. Yeah, it takes just that extra step, isn't it? Yeah. And people do get driven pretty wild by these extra steps as well. You see that in testing when... People are just like, oh, it's just taking forever, and they get fatigued and yeah. annoyed, and then they just drop off and never come back. So, and the other thing I don't get is, you know, like when you forget your password, yeah, and then you hit forget password, and that takes you to a completely new screen where you have to enter your email your, again, yes. email again, and, and you I, just entered it. See also, <laughs> yeah, it drives me mad. That. Clicking the unsubscribe link in an email, which takes you to an unsubscribe page. To then put your e- <laughs> that says present your email. Like, well, it just came from my email. So. Done it already. Done yeah. this. Yeah. yeah. And my, la- and my last login complaint is why are existing users relegated? You know, like particularly for big services. Like yes. if you try to sign into LinkedIn, I think it is, and you're an existing user, you get this tiny little... Tiny link somewhere. Yes. Yeah, it's like somewhere non-obvious. Yeah. And yeah. I think um, yeah. Twitter do the same. And I think surely you've got enough customers now. Mm. I get that when you're like growing, growing yeah. and all that, but that bothers me. Yes, how many yeah, times have you found yourself filling out the like new account form and then go, no, wait a minute. I'm not, <laughs> this is not the login. This is the... Yeah. Yeah, and surely you could detect it. You could have a username and password field, and if you're not a, um, an existing customer, it takes you to the sign up page or something yeah. like that. You know? Yeah, I, I tell you what, there's not many because <laughs> I work in UX. Everything annoys me. Like literally, <laughs> every website, every app, every door where the handle is a you know a, a pull oh, when it should be a push. Yeah. Every every tap. Every hotel shower, my life is just one long, like, ex- you know, annoyance. But um, there's, there's a few sites that are quite good. So um, I quite like the Bulb site was quite nice. And is it Octopus Energy? That okay. They, they yeah. were really nice experiences with their forms and their sign up. Um, you know, so that that's like quite a high accolade <laughs> to do that. Um, and LV, we sort of looked at that recently. That um, was quite a nice site as well. So yeah, there's, a, there's maybe three <laughs> in my life, <laughs> and then and then you know that'll change. <laughs> I'm guessing you don't own a microwave then. Oh, you <laughs> heard about the microwaves? <laughs> well, no, I haven't. Have you? Oh, this no, is no yesterday I tried to turn my microwave power down. There's a whole thing, and I couldn't, and I was so frustrated. I actually used a saucepan instead. <laughs> <laughs> you had to go analog. Not in the microwave. <laughs> yeah. So I've turned this whole. New this whole new phrase of micro rage (laughs) instead of microwaves. So at the last UX coffee, we looked at interfaces like uh, ticket machines, car park ticket machines, microwaves, um, 
you know, all these sort of ticket machines you get for trains and collecting your and, and buying right. a ticket. Yeah, yeah. And we we did something around Gestalt psychology. So that is how we visualize the world around us. And I sort of demonstrated this by showing all these awful UIs and then getting them to see how they could be improved. And microwaves were definitely a really interesting talking point because we had these pictures where some of them had like the button message and one had like meat pieces as a a button you think who's (laughs) using these message buttons who messages using their microwave so yeah it's a massive problem for me (laughs) i'm gonna tell you my my uh my annoyance and my favorite so my annoyance is is a physical thing which is in my car the 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 sort of um you know in car software has a dial um, that you turn to move up and down, so, you know, so you turn to the right and it goes down, and turn to the left it goes up. up yeah. On the map, to zoom in, you turn it anti-clockwise, and to zoom out, you turn it anti-clockwise, which is so unintuitive <laughs> yeah. that I have you never, I way. have never yet used it without zooming the wrong way first. It's made by Germans, but may <laughs> <laughs> may not be a factor. Um, my fa- one of my favorite in terms of software, one of my favorite things to use is trello which i just it's find simple, yeah. massively easy to use yeah, yeah. and and the wealth of keyboard shortcuts it's fast it's responsive yeah you know i find that really well made yeah it's funny you say that because i keep going back to trello as well i like put stuff in there and it's just so easy it's like so simple and that is yeah. sort of the key for an experience is it's just simple it just works yeah easily yeah, yeah. and just intuitive right it's Yes, the, the, I mean obviously there's various features you can you can bolt onto it, but yeah. the core experience of I need to create some lists of things and move some items between them, yeah, yeah. you know, remains really simple. And then, yeah. you know, it, that's reflected in the in the UI as yeah. well, right? That's literally what it yeah. what it is. You know. Have you used um, Zapier before? It sort of links um, uh, APIs together, so you've got um, maybe you could link. I, I linked Eventbrite to Slack before. Okay. So every time an event, t- a ticket for an event's bought, it will send a message to Slack. So it's, yeah. it sort of connects all these different services together. There's like hundreds. And that's got quite a nice experience of stepping through and building the um, triggers and then the action and like conditions as well. So like, do you filter out certain ones? Like I don't want to see ones bought by internal staff, like yeah. Eventbrite tickets. So yeah, that's quite a nice experience Ooh, as well. Zapier. Zapier, yeah, Z-A-P-I-E-R. Oh, <laughs> no, I know that, but I call it <laughs> Zapier. <laughs> Zapier, sorry. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to get dubbed. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent, good. Well, I think we're out of time. Okay. Thank you, Laura, for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, thanks for Laura. having me. It's been me. a pleasure. It's been wonderful. We hope dev teams will take up the uh, the, the challenge and find a real UX person. Yeah. Get a real UX person mm. in your team. Yeah. Um, but if you can't, we'll follow Laura's advice. <laughs> Great. Thank you, Laura. Thank you so much. Thanks very much. Thanks. Bye. Thanks again to Laura. Um, great conversation. Uh, really interesting. And some of the things that didn't make it were quite interesting as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a whole world of stuff out there in UX, isn't there, that yeah. we couldn't hope to cover in uh, 40 minutes or so. Yeah. The dark patterns thing, I think we should... Uh, yes. Exp- we touched on a few of them, but I think there's probably a whole episode in that. We will hold the world to account. Yeah. But generally, I find it fascinating. I think that UX and um, the psychology of it, I think it started off where people think it's a, like a, a sort of a doing thing where you, you create these designs. But I think Laura express quite well that it's 
it's much more softer than that. It's about psychology and yeah. how to interact with people, both to get the information you want out of them and then to also design experiences that yeah. get the most out of the user. Well, that's where, yeah. you know, it struck me during the episode that uh, and maybe it's an obvious thing, but that this isn't necessarily a software yeah, quite, related yeah. discipline. It can actually be applied to, to many, many things. Yeah, yeah. So really fascinating. And um, we hope you enjoyed it too. Absolutely. You can contact us on Twitter at BitPicking. You can follow Laura at Laura underscore Yarrow on Twitter. It's a good memory. Didn't have to look that up. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. Until next time. Bye, listeners. Bye, Mark. Bye, Greg. Bye, Greg.